This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney. When one of the great living mystics, Richard Rohr, writes, all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. Do we just skim by it and look for the next great quote? Or do we allow this truth to utterly change our relationship with God, humanity, and reality itself? And if we accept letting go as the key to transformation, the question becomes how? How is each life-altering step of the spiritual journey somehow about letting go? Well, my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, is the answer to that question. My dream is that everyone who reads this will open up to the possibility that to engage everything from the concrete to the cosmic and from the tiniest arguments with your partner to the biggest social tragedies of our time without losing our joy, we have to learn how to let go. Hey, this is Shane Claiborne. And if you love Jesus and coffee, you're going to love Second Cup with Keith. In fact, even if you don't really like coffee that much, you're still going to like it. Join Keith for Second Cup. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles, and in this episode, I would like to talk to you about Jesus, Paul, and women. And I think the reasons that we need to talk about Jesus, Paul, and women uh, should be fairly obvious to you, especially if you're a woman. Um, But even if you're a man, you may have noticed um, that the ways that a lot of Christian pastors and leaders, bloggers, teachers, Um, these days, uh, want to talk about women, typically, uh, even when they're quoting what they think is what Jesus says or believes, or what Paul says or believes about the role of women and the place of women uh, within the body of Christ, within church leadership, and things like this, um, uh, it tends to be typically along the lines of more about restricting um, the roles of women and the uh, the agency of women, the ability of women uh, to serve in certain capacities. In other words, it's not about allowing them the freedom to do anything and everything that men could do. Uh, it's mostly about uh, only choosing to reference scriptures or uh, to approach it from the standpoint of, uh, yeah, kind of keeping women, restricting women from places of, uh, let's say, teaching or um, leadership, or things like that. So uh, that's the reason why I think it's really important that we do a podcast about this topic. And again, it's a deep topic. I probably am not going to be able to go as deep uh, as I'd like. Uh, But hopefully, I think there's enough that we can talk about here that should uh, shine a little bit clearer perspective on what really Jesus actually said uh, about women, and also even how Paul treated women and and talked about women in the context of being um, equal and active members of the body of Christ. So um, I guess to start off, I would like to address the misconception, very common misconception, that Jesus only called men to be disciples. I've heard this said many times from pastors and teachers uh, who want to say, well, look, you know, if, if women we're supposed to be given this place of equality alongside men, then why did Jesus only choose 12 men to be his disciples? Well, uh, he did choose women to be his disciples, and the evidence of that is right there in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Um, But again, if you're not looking for it, or if you're actually, (laughs) if you're looking not 
to see it. If you're trying hard not to notice it, then of course you're not going to notice it. So, um, first of all, yes, Jesus did call women to be his disciples. And so let's start off there. That's a good place to, I think, to begin with. And then we'll get into some other specifics. Um, so we read of Luke, the gospel of Luke, starting in chapter eight and verse one, um, it says that uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna were three of Jesus' female disciples. Uh, it says this, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, a lot there. So first of all, in addition to the 12, yes, they were all men, but um, it seems to suggest that the 12 were outnumbered <laughs> because uh, it says that Jesus was going from town to town, village to village, preaching the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him, but also women, who women, plural, who have been cured of evil spirits, uh, and names some of them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who is uh, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, many others. So there were many other women who were disciples of Jesus. Again, by saying that they were following him around, uh, that is the very definition of what a disciple does, especially when you're talking about a traveling, teaching rabbi like Jesus uh, you know, the first century, uh, in Palestine or Jerusalem, of course, uh, people who were following a person like that would be considered that person's disciples. Um, and because women were not only following him around, but they were actually also investing in him, uh, not just in their time, uh, traveling, walking around with him and spending time with him, uh, the way that they were, but they were also even more invested than the male disciples were because they, many of them were financially supporting um, Jesus and what he was doing. To talk about having skin in the game, putting their money where their mouth was, um, they were investing more than just their time, but also their, their money into the ministry of Jesus. But also, um, we're told in Mark chapter 16, uh, we again read Mark 16, verse 1, that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, so we, mar we see Mary again, Mary the mother of James, uh, and Salome bought uh, spices so that they might come and anoint him. This is after uh, the crucifixion. And so there we have Mary Magdalene mentioned, but we have another Mary mentioned, Mary the mother of James, and another woman, Salome. So we can add her to the list. Um of course, we know that Mary Magdalene was commissioned by Jesus as the apostle to the apostles. Um, he he sent her out uh, to announce that he had resurrected. So she was an apostle to the apostles. And we also have very many other uh, women in the early church movement who were named and honored as deacons, elders, prophets, teachers, and yes, apostles. Um, and not just Mary Magdalene, uh, there's another woman that was also named as an apostle and several other women that could also fit, uh, that as well. So, um, 
Some of the women that were honored would be Lydia of Philippi. She's mentioned in Acts 16.11. She not only was a a business uh, entrepreneur, she was a dealer in purple cloth, but she also hosted uh, a church in her home, a gathering in her home. Uh, So she was a church leader. She was technically, if you want to say it this way, a pastor. Uh, Phoebe, Chloe, and the mother of Rufus are all named by Paul as being women who were who served as deacons. The, the word diakonos in the Greek uh, is the word, say the same word for servant. And so uh, Paul calls Phoebe, Chloe, and the mother of Rufus deacons in the early church. Um, that's in Romans 16, 1, where Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant diakonos deacon of the church at Sancria. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, it says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Chloe had people. <laughs> so she had a gathering as well, probably a gathering of believers also meeting in her home. Uh, in Romans sixteen seven, we meet Junia, uh, where Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, that is a woman's name, uh, Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before I was. So here Paul identifies Junia uh, along with Andronicus and says that they were that they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ longer than he was. They've known Christ longer than he. And so Junia is also named as an apostle. Um, we also have Priscilla and her husband Aquila. Uh, they're referred to by Paul as, quote, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, meaning they were doing the same work that he was doing. And it's also very telling that um, anytime this husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, are mentioned, it's always Priscilla who's mentioned first. And again, that is a, that's a tell that's letting us know that of the two of them, Priscilla was the more prominent. She was the one who had the gifting. She was the one who was taking a leadership role, uh, spiritually at least in this context, in the relationship. And especially then if Paul lists the woman and then the husband, as fellow workers in Christ Jesus, Priscilla would have been the more prominent in that work. Um, so it's very likely that Priscilla was the stronger teacher among them uh, because she's named first. Um, we also read that in Acts eighteen twenty six that when Apollos, who was also an apostle, um, began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, it says that Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him, or taught him, the way of God more accurately. And so it's Priscilla and her husband who are teaching this apostle uh, some things that he doesn't know. And that was completely okay. Um, And then, of course, I think one of the most powerful examples of a female disciple uh, that followed Jesus is in Luke 10, and I think this is something that we miss quite a bit. In the story of Mary and Martha, typically this whole story of Mary and Martha is meant to say, you know, Martha is a busybody. She's she's a she's a doer. She's you know she's working and doing all this. She's busy doing all this stuff. You know, making sandwiches for the disciples. She's upset that her sister Mary isn't helping her doing this women's work right uh, and being busy. And uh, and Jesus' response is. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary, your sister, has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So now what we need to understand is that Jesus emphatically says 
that Mary has made a wise choice. Um, well, what choice has she made? Well, she is sitting at the feet of a rabbi with the males who, again, if you sit at the feet of a rabbi, of a teacher, you are that person's disciple. And that is what Mary has chosen. This is why Mary, Martha is upset in her mind. Um, her sister Mary has is acting as if she could also be a disciple like the men. That she's upset about that. She's telling Jesus, hey, tell her to stop doing that. Tell her to stop acting like a man and sitting with the men in the in the room uh, and sitting at your feet while you teach. She's supposed to do the womanly thing, which is to come into the kitchen with me. And so Jesus is correcting this misunderstanding. He's emphatically saying, no, Martha, Mary has made a choice to do the better thing, which is to be my disciple. And then he says this incredibly, incredibly powerful statement that what she has chosen shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus basically dares anyone to to contradict him, that a woman cannot be his disciple or a woman cannot sit at his feet. And of course, as we see in these other examples, uh, in the earliest church, women served as uh, deacons, teachers, prophets, apostles, elders. Uh, This was normal in the early church, and it, it was radical. But yes, it's specifically because Jesus was so radical. Um, and and again, following Jesus' lead uh, of radically including women, the Apostle Paul also honored women. Now, that's a shock to many people because many people um, believe that some of Paul's letters actually say the opposite, that Paul is telling women to shut up and be silent in the church. Women should not talk. Um, you know, that it's an abomination or that it's an insult or whatever. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, but let's just, let's just put those verses to the side for a moment. Um, I'm going to first, I'm going to read to you um, some examples of the ways that Paul, and when I say Paul, I mean, not pseudo Paul, but Paul, actually Paul, um, honors women. And the right and in the writings of Paul, women are honored and elevated. Okay. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, I know this is not Paul, this is Luke, but again, it's an early, one of the earliest church New Testament documents. Uh, in Acts 9.36, Tabitha is named as an early disciple of Jesus who made clothing for the poor and served others. So again, as a deacon, she is a diakonos, and she uh, she's highly regarded in Acts 9.36. We've already mentioned Junia in Romans 16.7. Um, and in fact, by the way, men in the early patriarchal church, Christian church were so threatened by this idea of Junia, a woman, being named here in Romans 16, 7 as outstanding among the other apostles, uh, they changed Junia's name to uh, a male name. So there we go. There was a, the first uh, early uh, you know, sex change operation, and it was done by Christians, male Christians, uh, to turn this Junia into a man because they were threatened by the idea of a female leader. Um, but we also see in Romans 16.1, now this is Paul. Uh, Paul mentions Phoebe, who is also a deacon, a diakonos of the church in Sincrea. Priscilla, we mentioned already, uh, is, is listed as a co-worker with Paul, doing the same work Paul is doing, which is what? Uh, being an apostle. 
traveling and uh, planting churches and and all these kinds of things. Uh, We mentioned Lydia, but also in Philippians 4.3, Paul mentions two women who he says, quote, labored side by side with him in the work of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of Paul's fellow workers. These are Euodia and uh, Syntyche. So it's E-U-O-D-I-A, Euodia and Syntyche, or Syntyche, S-C-Y-N-T-Y-C-H-E. Go check it out, Philippians 4.3. And um, now, so these are the ones that were named, right? And there were hundreds of women, possibly thousands of women, just like these who went unnamed for centuries in the early church. But what we know is that they were allowed to prophesy, to serve as deacons, to travel as evangelists along with the men, to to do the the same work that Paul was doing and other apostles were doing, um, commissioning people, uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, uh, helping to establish and plant new communities of faith in different places as they went from town to town. Uh, and without these women, uh, we wouldn't have had a Christian faith. So it's very, very important to recognize this. Um, now, so I said we were going to talk about these other verses. Like there's, I hear, I hear people already, but Keith, what about, right? What about these other things? So um, probably one of the most prominent what about or what if uh, verses of scripture that people like to throw around to kind of keep women in their place and keep them silent and not allow them to, uh, to fulfill these duties, which of course it's plain to see they obviously did uh, with Jesus' blessing, with Paul's blessing. Uh, is First Timothy two twelve, and in that in that uh, specific passage we read Paul saying, "I do not permit a woman to teach in order to have authority over a man; she must be silent." Now, actually, I dealt with this in episode three of Second Cup with Keith, so I encourage you actually to go and listen to that entire podcast. I go into much more detail about that 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 whole book. Um, what is going on in that book and why Paul is making these kind of statements in that book. But just as a reminder, or uh, I guess as a teaser for those of you who have not or don't remember listening to episode three of of this podcast, where I already dealt with that, uh, let me just remind you what's going on in 1 Timothy. Well, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. We know from the book of Acts that in Ephesus is the temple of Artemis. Um, and in fact, we see in the book of Acts, excuse me, examples of the uh, fanatical devotion people had to Artemis uh, in in Ephesus. And you can go check that out as well. And I mentioned that in the podcast. So this is what's going on. Artemis was a female cult. It was run by women. Women were in leadership. Um, women would adorn their hair and dress in, in these elaborate you know, costumes and clothing. Um, and they did so in order to appease and please Artemis so that uh, Artemis would protect the women um, who are pregnant in childbirth. And this is where we get the statement in First Timothy where Paul says that um, women will be saved in childbirth if they honor the Lord. So um, that is directly... Uh, contradicting the false assumption that people had, that specifically women had, who lived in Ephesus, who had come out of the Artemis cult, who were continuing to adorn their hair and dress elaborately 
because they were pregnant and they were hoping Artemis would kind of protect them and their child's life when they gave birth. And Paul, in writing First Timothy, uh, is urging Timothy to remind women who are in the Christian church in Ephesus not to behave this way anymore, not to appease Artemis anymore. And so it's in that context that Paul makes this statement that gets pulled out of context so often. I do not permit a woman to teach in order to have authority over a man. She must be silent. We actually know if you go back to 1 Timothy, um, the beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul makes reference to certain people, specific people within that church in Ephesus who have been uh, troublemakers. And this is one of the reasons why he leaves Timothy behind to sort of deal with these troublemakers. Um, I think what we can uh, we can infer from this letter uh, having this set up at the beginning of the letter that there's trouble, the trouble is coming from one or two people, um, that then when he says things like, I do not permit a woman to teach, he doesn't say all women everywhere. He says, I do not permit a woman or this specific woman to teach in order to have authority over a man. Now, I say this a lot. Um, there's another group of people that Paul does not allow to teach in order to have authority over other people, and that would be men. Because, again, it's wrong for us to assume that if you are teaching somebody in the church, if you're teaching some scripture to somebody within the church, that that gives you authority over that person. That is a misunderstanding. That is a false way of thinking. When you teach another brother or sister in Christ something that you have learned uh, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit or by your own study, you don't have authority over them. Now, the Spirit of God might, but you don't. And so the goal is never to to allow someone to teach so that they can have authority over anyone else. And if they do want to teach for that reason, to exert authority over other people in the body of Christ, Paul says they, she, he, any of them must be silent. In other words, the people that he's silencing is anyone who wants to teach in order to have authority over other people. Um, and But in this specific case, it does happen to be a woman, a particular woman, who probably did come out of the Artemis cult and who was trying to sort of um, impose some of the same customs of Artemis worship in this new Christian gathering that was forming in Ephesus. And this is what Paul is trying to address. It's a specific problem only in Ephesus at that specific time um, that, that Paul is wanting to address. Now, I, I, I probably do need to say, because some of you listening already know uh, this is the case, and so I don't want to not mention it, but it is worth mentioning um, that when we come to 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy um, or Titus or First uh, and Second Peter, we are dealing with what are called pseudepigrapha. In other words, these are early Oh, I'm sorry, they're not early. They're later um, documents that end up in the New Testament that um, we now know because of scholarship uh, and many good reasons. Uh, most scholars today uh, acknowledge that Paul, the Apostle Paul, did not write 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus. Um, and that first that, that the disciple Peter did not write 1 or 2 Peter. So again, we have to keep that in mind, I believe, when we're looking at some of uh, some of these texts, and specifically problematic texts that most likely didn't even come from Paul 
the, the actual Paul, the apostle that we know of. However, whoever said it, whether it was Paul or someone else, um, it's still true that Artemis worship was going on in Ephesus. This was a problem, and whoever wrote the letter was attempting to uh, correct that specific problem. Okay. All right. So um, I should also point out that in that, the way the wording is in that verse in 1 Timothy uh, in the Greek, it actually is worded phonetically and correctly. It's better to read it this way that Paul says, I am not now at this time allowing a woman to teach, meaning suggesting that elsewhere he does allow it and that others also allowed it, but only now at this time he's not allowing it to take place. And he's restricting it. Why? Because this particular person who is causing trouble within this uh, within this fellowship uh, is doing so. Why? To have authority over the men. And that's what Paul wants to deal with. Um, in fact, looking at 1 Timothy 1, starting at verse 3, uh, we can see, he says, I, As I urged you, Timothy, when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines. Um, and then he says such things promote controversial speculations. And then he says later some have departed from the faith uh, and they want to be teachers. They want to elevate themselves as teachers of the law, uh, etc. So again, we get this idea right off the bat, First Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, that yes, there are some very specific people in this specific fellowship in Ephesus who are causing trouble. Um, so the other place is, of course, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 34. Uh, again, I have written some in-depth blog posts dealing with this. Um, uh, you can find them at KeithGiles.com and just search women uh, and things like that. You can find them. But anyway, um, the passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, very famously says, uh, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. And if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, close quote. So um, that is a problematic verse for many reasons. Um, probably primarily because earlier in the exact same letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives instructions for the ways that women should prophesy in the church, which means they're not going to be silent. They're going to be talking. He just wants them to cover their heads. So what's going on? Why is Paul contradicting himself just a few verses later in the very same letter to this very same people? Okay, so here's what we think is going on. Um, Paul's letter to in 1 Corinthians is a, is a response letter. And he mentions this, by the way. If you go back and read uh, 1 Corinthians, he mentions that he is writing this, this letter, 1 Corinthians, to them in response to a letter that they had sent to him, which we don't have a copy of. And he's in this letter, what he's doing is answering the questions they have asked him. Now, understand also that months go by between sending letters in this ancient world. They're all done by hand, by foot, often maybe by donkey or camel, but it's a very, very slow process to deliver a letter. And so it takes months for the letter to arrive, months for him to respond, maybe a few weeks at least for him to respond, another few months for it to get back. So because time has passed between the sending of the letter and his response, uh, it's quite common and normal um, for Paul to uh, remind them of what they had asked him first and then respond to their question. Now, they know what their questions were, and they just need to be reminded of them. And so we think that this is probably what's happening throughout 1 Corinthians. And there are examples of this as well as you go through it. I don't have time to go through the specific examples. Um, 
But it's very likely that that's the reason why um, near the end of this letter, after Paul has affirmed women have the right to prophesy in the church, he just wants them when they do so to cover their heads, um, and that everyone in the body should desire the gift of prophecy. So he really, really believes in this gift of prophecy. So he, he expects that men and women both are going to be doing a lot of it when they come together. Um, when he suddenly seems to say women should remain silent in the churches, they're not allowed to speak, must be in submission, as the law says. And if they want to acquire something, they should ask their husbands. And then for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay. So those are some really harsh statements. So what we are pretty sure what's happening there is that all of that, that entire paragraph, is Paul quoting back to them what they had said to him in their letter to him. And so uh, what's also interesting is there is a missing word in most English translations. If you go to the Greek, um, what you find right after that paragraph is an exclamation that basically is, what? And it's, it's literally, what? Um, and then after that, Paul's response is, um, did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Well, what is it that he wrote to them that's different from that statement? Well, everything else you just read in first Corinthians. So, right, that Paul's actual response to that statement is to say, what? Uh, who are you? What, what do you think you're doing? Uh, and then he says, hey, if you think you're gifted by the Holy Spirit, if you think you're a prophet, then, then what you will do is acknowledge that what I have written to you in this letter is from the Lord. And if you ignore this, you will be ignored. So then he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. He says it again. Everyone, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So uh, not only, though, is it a problem to leave out the what there, we need to also look a little closer at that, that little paragraph in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35 again. So again, he says, well, it says, again, we're pretty sure Paul isn't saying this, but the, the, it, the verse says, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. But, me, but must be in submission as the law commands or as the law says. You, you want to know something? The law never says that. That's right. There is no example anywhere in the law commanding women to remain silent in the temple or in the churches. There's no, nowhere in the law does it forbid women to speak. Nowhere in the law. And do you think Paul knew the law? Wasn't he a Pharisee of Pharisees? Wasn't he, doesn't he even brag about this, right? In some of his other letters, like how much he knew the law inside and out? Exactly. So would Paul claim something was in the law that he knew wasn't in the law? Well, of course he wouldn't. That's part of the reason why after his what response, uh, he says, did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people that this reached? Like, hey guys, I know the law better than you. What do you think you're doing? Um, so the law doesn't say that, right? Um, and also the statement, it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did you know, by the way, um, what does say that are, is the Talmud. Now the Talmud chronologically came later, um, but it contained the statement that, uh, that it was quote, a disgrace for a woman to speak. Uh, and also said that a woman's voice is filthy nakedness. So, um, it's probably that this idea, this teaching was floating around 
from some Jewish rabbis in the first century, um, and that this is what they're quoting. This is what they're referring to. Uh, but at any rate, it's not something that the law teaches. It's not something that Paul ever taught or believed. And it actually goes, it contradicts everything else that Paul says in First Corinthians about the role of women. Um, and so, yeah, Jesus empowered women. Um, Paul empowered women. Um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was another verse that also kind of gets pulled out, and it's it's related to women. Um, it's not specifically uh, typically thought of as being about women, but it is, at least the way it's used. And that will be Matthew 19. And um, it's the verse that I hear uh, a lot of women have shared with me that they were quoted this verse, Matthew 19, 9, um, that the only, the, the only uh, reason why a woman should ever divorce her husband is for uh, marital unfaithfulness or adultery. And, um, and so the, unless your husband has committed adultery, if you're in an abusive relationship, if he's, if he's verbally abusive, um, if he's violent in the sense that he's, uh, beating you or your children or, you know, just terrorizing you and the home and the children in the home, that, that, that according to Jesus, uh, you're, you as a woman are not allowed, uh, to divorce your husband. So I want to challenge that because that is, that is a a gross misunderstanding and misuse of what Jesus is actually trying to teach uh, in this passage. And first of all, you have to understand that um, Jesus is speaking in the first century, first of all, to males. It's these men who have come to him to ask him a question about divorce, not about marriage, (laughs) but a question about divorce. Um, And so again, understanding that at that time, men had all the power in the relationship. A man could divorce his wife for any reason at any time and take a new wife if he wanted to. Um, and so this was the way the law was applied, um, at the time. And so women were not all, could not only be, uh, brutalized and beaten and abused. Um, they could also be tossed to the side at, 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 at the whim of the husband at any moment. And so it's in that context that Jesus says to the men that if you divorce your wife for any other reason except that she's unfaithful to you, you are committing adultery. You're the one who's sinning. You're the one who's in trouble. So what Jesus is doing here actually is reversing the power structure. He's actually taking all of the power to divorce, to end the marriage, to break the marriage covenant. He's taking it away from the men. Because up to this point in Jewish culture, men were the only ones that had that power. Jesus takes it away from the men. He places it back into the hands of women. And he tells the men, you can't divorce your wife for any reason except if the woman breaks it, if the woman decides to break it. So she commits adultery. And if you break it, if you break it for any other reason, you're the one who is sinning. You are the one who should be shamed for committing adultery, not your wife. Now, how do I know that this is exactly what Jesus intended to communicate? Well, in the very next verse, (laughs) Um, you can see the way that they respond. His disciples respond after he says that. They say this, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to get married. Whoa. So see, the disciples 
completely understood his message. They understood that what Jesus was doing was taking away the man's power of divorce for any reason, and that he was empowering the woman instead, and that he was balancing the power in the relationship. And this is the reason why, after he says it, their response is, then why get married at all? Exactly. Why would a man bother to get married to a woman if you literally had to remain in that marriage until you died? That you couldn't just, you know, divorce her for any reason. Why bother to marry her if you can't divorce her and get, you know, get a younger, sexier uh, model and train in uh, later, right? And so that's what Jesus' intention is. That's what he wants to do. He's trying to empower women in situations where they're being abused by the husband who has power over them. And he's trying to put power back in their hands. And so now imagine today taking those words from Jesus to put women back under subjugation to men who are brutalizing them, terrorizing them in a relationship and tell that woman, no, you can't, you can't divorce your husband because he hasn't committed adultery. And therefore you have to stay in that home, keep your kids in that home and endure the belittling, the beating, the screaming, the threatening, all of that, the violence, all of that stuff. And you can't divorce him unless he's slept around. You don't understand what Jesus is doing. You are misusing that verse to put women back in bondage to their abusive husbands. And that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus intends to do. So um, I hope all this is helpful. My goal was really just to hopefully paint a, a better picture and a more accurate picture of the way Jesus treated women. The fact that Jesus, yes, he did have many, many, it says, in the Gospels, many female disciples. And the early church, Paul mentions by name, many women who served as prophets, elders, deacons, teachers, apostles, missionaries, uh, etc. And this is the way it was supposed to be. Now, sadly, historically, what we know is that uh, soon after Paul, uh, men took power and kept power and pushed women out and marginalized women and suddenly used some of those verses, again, some of these late-coming uh, texts from First Timothy, which weren't even really written by Paul, most likely, um, and the verse in First Corinthians uh, and other verses to twist them around so that it really does look like that the Apostle Paul believed uh, the thing that he actually contradicts in First Corinthians, uh, this idea that women should be silent in the church or that the law really does teach that when it really doesn't. So um, the goal with this is to re-empower women to say, no, according to Jesus, according to Paul, the true Apostle Paul, the actual writings of Paul, um, women are equal. They are free. This is why Paul could say that now in the body of Christ, there is no you know, a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. The goal is that equality, that oneness, that sharing of all things together. Uh, not to put us back under these hierarchical systems that oppress women and keep them from having a voice, keep them from serving freely, keep them from uh, doing what they did in the early church, doing what they did at the time of people following Jesus, um, have very upfront, active, um, you know, prominent roles uh, in uh, in the Christian faith. And that's the way it should be. That is what Jesus intended. That is what Paul intended. And sadly, though, it's something that we have reversed. So I think it's very important for us to know that, first of all, so that we can undo um, the injustice. 
that has been done to women. And and, it's, and unfortunately, in 2022, uh, continues to be something that the Christian church uh, continues to promote. These, these wrong ideas, these backwards ideas that women don't have equal say, they don't have equal voice in the body of Christ. As far as Jesus is concerned, they absolutely should. And what they have chosen should never be taken from them by anyone ever, and certainly not in the name of Jesus. So again, thank you for listening to this episode of Second Cup with Keith. I really appreciate it. If you're listening on the Ethos Radio app, which I recommend, you can download that from the App Store on your iPhone or Android device, and you will get um, direct access to the Second Cup with Keith podcast episodes and also my Threads episodes uh, podcast that come out also on the Ethos app every other week. Um, Thank you for listening. Whatever you listen on, please like, subscribe, share, and um, we'll see you again next time on Second Cup with Keith. Thanks for spending this time with me. Take care.